trash trucks that roll through like the alley behind my apartment building at like seven in the morning if they're like yes if i have to be awake and trapped in this world so do you yeah i uh I, I like that idea, yeah, trash men rolling around and be like, you think the sun is what starts the day, but no, we, we tell you when the day is anew, we are the ones who take away the filth of the past so you may maintain the illusion that your sins have been washed away, it is our, you know, on and on. Um, hey, because... I'm just ranting with Kyle about garbage men. You're probably listening to The Big Bang Theory. So, hi, I'm Nick. No, I'm Kyle. We watch this TV show sometimes called The Big Bang Theory. Uh, more and more, we try to talk about anything else than the show. But, you know, we still dabble in it. And we're up to Season 7, Episode 4 now, which was officially titled The Raiders Minimization. And I'm going to tell you, Kyle, we can just talk about whatever. I, I mean, this episode... Totally fine. Totally, like, whatever consumable, pleasant enough episode of television. I have no feelings about it. Hey, Kyle, what's going on with you? <sighs> ah, you know, uh, I guess I'm, uh, I'm thinking a lot about the Raiders of the Lost Ark right now. Do you, do you feel as crestfallen as the nerds do in the actual episode, or, or how, what are your feelings now? No, no, I thought it was way, uh... I thought their chagrin about that was way too overblown. Well, and and to briefly discuss, so I am going to fall back again on the the pre-made plot summaries on the Big Bang fan wiki. And so today's summary is, after Sheldon and Amy watch an Indiana Jones movie together, parentheses, Raiders of the Lost Ark, she points out a, a plot flaw that ruins the movie for Sheldon, who decides to plot some revenge. After Leonard's mother publishes a book about his childhood problems, Leonard finds that he can manipulate Penny by making her feel sorry for him. <laughs> it's I'm, it's that that summary is so much funnier than the way it actually played out in the episode. It's, the Leonard part is particularly cutting. Yeah, it's which to, to flesh this out just slightly more yeah they watch raiders of the lost ark and amy is like hey well amy and sheldon are watching it and amy says hey that was fun didn't really matter if indiana jones was in that movie though right like the whole story could have happened without him and essentially had all the same plot elements in conclusion uh and sheldon concedes and then he he brings this to the other nerds you know discussing how upset he's about it and they too are stunned by this revelation uh, and yeah, Sheldon decides to take revenge because, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, Amy continues to have a relationship with him and, you know, believes it's healthy enough, if not for just his quirks. But uh, yeah, when she points out something that is, you know, moderately critical of something he enjoys, he's like, well, I have to destroy everything she loves now, too. Uh, there is, I thought, an actually funny joke, though, where his immediate uh, quest is to find flaws in Pride and Prejudice to really take that classic down a few pegs for her. Uh, but then he reads the entire thing, and he's like, Ah, oh, gosh darn it, it's a flawless masterpiece. Ah, what next? So I, I like that part. But yeah, that's that's about the, like, there's not even much of a conclusion to it other than Amy saying, Hey, I don't like that. Well, I guess he does get back to her when they watch Little House on the Prairie, and he talks about how it's, you know, basically colonialist fantasy. But uh, Which, you know, as someone who is a fan of Indiana Jones, uh, I mean, I, I didn't think this at the time, but when you put it like that, it's like, wait a second here, Sheldon. No, no, there's... Th that's how silly it is. Is like, yeah, classic Sheldon, like I said, classic... Big Bang Theory episode. Oh, he has the opportunity to act like a normal human, but wouldn't you know it, he has these petulant childlike behaviors that are just uh, forever bound into his DNA. Wait, um, are you saying you've never actually felt the urge to when someone uh, destroys or criticizes something you like to be like, well, what what do you like? What What's your gold standard of art? Tell me. Tell me now. You know, I'm not going to say I've never had that urge, but it's been long enough ago that I, I think it would have had to have happened in my teens or something. Like, I feel 
embarrassed when somebody doesn't like something I like because I'm like, oh, that's a little piece of me, and I know that I didn't make it, but oh, it's a part of my personality, and now I feel personally attacked, oh no, and that is a preposterous feeling, and recognizing that that is a preposterous feeling, no, I don't ever feel particularly vindictive. But you, you must have no comment. in your heart. No, oh, of course God. not. Absolutely. Oh, we, we turn the lens right back around, Kyle. What, what have you ruined for somebody or just wanted to ruin? Or Come on, tell me tell me your dirt, your filth. It's just, it's just part of being like a... I mean, you're right. I recognize that this is an immature quality in myself. I don't think I do it very much anymore. But there's definitely some part of me that was that's just like... When I find out someone has mildly different tastes from me, I want to... Uh, I used to want to, yeah, just destroy them. Just absolutely, you know, completely crush any, uh, well, I, I'll remember. Okay. Okay. Fine. You want my shame on the table? There was a famous blow up that everyone, cause I went to a very small college, only had like 400 students. And so there was a brief period of time when everyone knew the story about the screaming match I got into with someone because they said that, uh, the musical Les Miserables was, Tweet bullshit, which, uh, for that, and that anybody who liked it was probably a terrible, insufferable person. All of that, in retrospect, probably fair. Um, <laughs> Your screaming was, match certainly has nothing to do with that analysis. Oh, no. No, no, that wasn't when I started screaming, because then I was, because I was like, well, I. I, you know, okay, fine. But I was like, fine, what's your example of like the, cause they weren't just like, they weren't just like, if they'd just been like, I don't like musicals, I would have been like, okay, fine. Not everybody likes musicals. It is, it is kind of a weird medium. It's fine to not be your thing. But they were like, no, I love musicals. I was like, well, what's a good musical then? She was like, well, obviously it's the music man is the best musical. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Am I being trolled? Well, Kyle, it's you know i i've been in that situation myself and i too have wondered am am, am i is this a game or is this person insane <laughs> like when when a friend of mine saw the, the new the new mortal kombat movie and was like oh this is the greatest movie i've seen all year i'm like like do you just not have enough excitement in your life that you're looking for reasons to fight with people because there's no other reason to have that opinion. Like just like maybe maybe you haven't seen a movie before, but to see this this like totally middle of the road Mortal Kombat like franchise reboot attempt and to say it's the best movie you've seen and as long as you can remember is uh like what? What are you what are you doing? Like I just and so, like, I think what the thing that I've done is rather than be vindictive in the past, I um, have been like, well, I like a thing, and my opinion, to an extent that opinion can be correct, probably is. And so if somebody doesn't like what I like, there's probably something wrong with their brain, <laughs> and I need to help correct that. They just don't understand... Um, space goes coast to coast in the way I do, and they need to get on my level. I mean, to be fair, Sheldon starts out that way in this episode. I thought the funniest part was when she's like, it doesn't really seem like he matters much to the plot. And Sheldon's like, oh, oh, oh I see. You're, you're confused. No, Indiana Jones is the one with the hat and the whip. Yeah, yeah. No, that was uh, some adorable condescension. And yeah, it doesn't last. Like 30 seconds later, she's like, yeah, you know what? It doesn't even really matter to the movie. And that's, yeah, Sheldon is just defenseless, uh, yeah. which is so, the most surprising thing to me, I guess. But yeah. So here's what I have to say about, well, actually, two things. First off, this shitty, why the music man is the worst example is because that is famously a musical written by someone who was a composer of many famous tunes in his day. And he had a bunch of songs that were sitting in a drawer that he didn't know what to do with. So he contrived an incredibly ridiculous plot, the only purpose of which is to try that whole musical together, which is why 90% of the songs, if you pay careful attention, don't matter to the plot at all except incidentally they none of hardly any of them move the story forward in the slightest because that's not why they were there they were pre-written right it sounds um, like cats without the boldness to just 
not have a plot at all. Yes, exactly. I mean, it is kind of a cute plot. I do like the plot of the Music Man, but if you're just, like, arguing that it's the plot... Like, you don't come at me for how aimless and wandering and pointless all the singing is in Les Mis when you don't even have, like, an example of a coherent, like, concept piece. Asshole. Anyway, I'm totally over it now. Yeah, of course. No, it's... I think with age, I I still... pull I, like... I still believe that that people with opinions like what you're talking about are often either ding dongs or or evil or whatever. Uh, but you know, I've just become more mellow about it because I don't have the energy as an old man to have those fights anymore. I turned forty this year, and you know, rarely do I have the interaction where somebody adamantly. Uh, defends the the second third and god forbid the fourth matrix movies the fourth is at least more interesting than the second and third i'll give it that but um if someone were to come up and wait i'm sorry did you just say the fourth matrix movie was more interesting than the second or third i think so okay okay i don't i'm not saying better no 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 it's fine um and but just like if someone were to come at me hard like defending those movies i'd be like well in my mind you are objectively wrong, but I just, I've had this fight before. Yes. I've had this fight for the first time 20 years ago and many times since. And it, I get that is basically how I feel about arguing on the internet these days. It's like, no matter how wrong I think someone is online, I was like, I've had this argument with, it's like, it always plays out the same. I actually read a great blog post that was about how the internet is essentially dead as a medium, not because it it doesn't offer up all of the same promises in, that it did like when it was first invented, but it's just revealed that human beings aren't really complex enough to take advantage of those promises. So we've basically already had every possible interaction we can have through the internet and are bored with most of them. So the internet is essentially dead as a medium of change. We were so convinced about the dangers of the singularity, and then we get TikTok, and everyone's like, "No, we're this is, this is the peak," you know. Oh, by the way, uh, hey, every everyone, uh, I don't use TikTok in the first place, so this doesn't really affect me personally. But uh, our in Montana, our legislature is just the first state in the nation to ban TikTok. So, hey, how's that gonna work? I don't know. How are they going to ban? I don't think they know how the internet works. (laughs) Like, are they going to pull people over and be like, let me see the apps on your phone? I I don't get it. Yeah, like, is there going to be, are they going to, like, require app stores to be like, you cannot, through anyone with these zip codes, like, sell or, like, make available these apps? Or, like, what, is Montana gonna go after apple i I, or like you know tiktok themselves or i that would be funny because i i apple definitely has more money than montana and also that is by far the least upsetting legislation that is coming out (laughs) this year it's just this maybe this well i was gonna say the stupidest that's not true either the least harmful and stupidest i'll say the most light-hearted stupid thing the legislature is doing here so yes i guess that's fair um, so the other thing about Indiana Jones is, yeah, I didn't think the point of the movie was ever, like, whether or not he... Well, that's not fair. I should Here's what I should say. Indiana Jones, as a protagonist, the most interesting thing about him is how little, like, basic questions of morality actually matter to him as a human being. Like, he is fascinating because he is compelled by some deep obsession to find these treasures. And as we see, I think it's in, it's been a while since I've seen, not that long, but it's been like, you know, a couple years since I last watched Raiders of the Last Ark. But I remember the last time I watched it, I was blown away because I'm pretty sure there's a scene where he can destroy the Ark of the Covenant to keep it from getting into the Nazis' hands. Yes. And like, the Nazis just call his bluff on it. It's like, you're not going to blow this up. You don't. It's way more important to you that this thing exists in the world than that the Nazis have it. You are just not capable of the kind of moral calculus that would say better this thing gets destroyed than than fall into the wrong hands. You know, you'd rather us have it and risk that you could we might destroy the world with it, but then you could get to see what it does. 
At least that's how I interpret that film, which is part of the point. Like, insofar as the plot matters, it matters because Indiana Jones goes on a journey of, like, discovery and reunification with the woman he definitely had sex with when she was underage. um, And then reunites with her. Well, but if you had sex with someone when they're underage and then you have sex with them again when they're of age, they, like, cancel each other out. You've never technically had sex, right? That's how that works. (laughs) I am a lawyer. And, you know, to be I'm just fair, saying, of the I, problematic I have a Montana legal education, so our laws may be a bit different. But <laughs> that's true. Of the problematic things people hold up about the Indiana Jones franchise, the fact that they blatantly like spell out the math that Indiana Jones like uh, was sleeping with Marion back when he was a undergrad or whatever, or with uh, her her dad, implying that she was like 16 at the time or something. It's just like, what? Come on. Dude would, dude is problematic across multiple levels. And that's kind of, I mean, I'm not calling, I'm not saying we should cancel Indiana Jones. I'm just saying what makes those movies interesting is also the fact that they're like deeply problematic. I'm not saying that Indiana Jones has no standards, but his standards are basically, I won't openly collaborate with the Nazis. And that's like, that's right, yeah. the high bar for him. Not even, I will be a significant barrier to the Nazis if and when I have the opportunity via rocket launcher. But no, yeah, I will not collaborate. Is You're right, it's a very low floor. But that's another thing where um, I'm trying to think of some sort of recent media where this came up as an issue. You know, it comes up all the time about whether a plot or character... Well, you know, I guess it came up in, in Tar. Is I was talking with somebody who was... I'm talking about the, the film Tar, not the the, the lovely product. <laughs> but someone is like, I you know, I watched it and like, you know, the, the main character was like a really problematic person. And I'm like, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like I don't know how much I like a movie like that. And I'm like, did did you watch the, the context in which she was a problematic person? <laughs> like that's like, yes, no, the main character is does a lot of bad things and says a lot of bad things and is overall, yes, a bad person. But this movie is not a, a celebration of that. Um, and even if it was, it is still just a movie. I don't know. It's, I think... Yeah, it's like, have you ever have you ever watched anything by this guy named Martin Scorsese? I get increasingly bristly at the idea of, like, ethical consumption of media or whatever. And yeah, speaking well, no, of Scorsese, I, I recently rewatched Taxi Driver, and yeah, like no one who is concerned about any like any sort of trigger warning or anything would ever allow that movie to be allowed in public. But yeah, I mean, it's not. It's uh, just a. It's not right. It's just like a movie. I mean, I probably there are probably movies that are like their portrayal of violence and immorality would be like so would upset me just for how like pointless or nihilistic there was but you're right that that's not like the uh it's not like the fundamental point of the art is ever to like you know well that's not true there are movies like that but if you watch them they're generally insufferable like they're they're borderline unwatchable movies oftentimes you know uh it's funny because they're usually either religious or pseudo-religious. Like all the ones that I can think of usually involve someone, you know, praying and having, you know, a miracle bestowed upon them or else uh, the, the theatrical adaption of Atlas Shrugged, which I actually watched the first part of, which, oh boy. You know, uh, a controversial statement here, but I don't think Jesus likes those people that make that media or or God. And I say that because it's never that good. you you think if he was actually on their side he'd like give them some divine inspiration they could make something that actually was like cool to watch he could be neutral on the issue (laughs) and by now there should be some sort of great christian blockbuster like but for whatever reason that genre no matter how many minds come together to produce material like there must be talented people working in that field like I'm going to say, like, honestly, no, it's not for me. Like, yeah, that's just true, no matter how good. Well, that's no, that's not true. I was going to say, no matter how good one of these movies would be, I probably can't like it. No. Like, if it's good enough, it should be able to bridge that gap. And so I think God is working against them a little bit to be like, hey, talented people are going to make these weird, fucked up, kind of upsetting movies. And I'm going to put, like, 
the C squad on praising my name because I don't need the help, guys. I'm God. Like, what do you think you're doing? Enjoy your lives. That's what I made the Earth for, okay? Other people are doing fine. Kirk Cameron doesn't need to, like, get the word. I, 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 you know, I'll stop because, but yeah, anyway. No, this is great. I'm having a lot of fun. Ah, I, yeah, like, it just just by chance. Like, why is there not some sort of, I mean, argue, you know, there's movies that have, you know, allegorical or like metaphorical themes that can be prominent. But yeah, I don't know. I, when, when is everyone going to see Christ's big summer comeback? You know, I don't well, know. Well, there was, there was the one movie that Mel Gibson made that made a lot of money. Famously, though, he had other problems that made it sort of a morally complex yeah. issue to... Well, you're right about that, because that one, I don't even remember if it was good. I think I was too young to really appreciate it at the time, because it, was, it wasn't it was necessarily dry, but it was it was a somber film, and but it is difficult to judge, because, yeah, thinking back on watching that, it's like, oh yeah, that was about the time that uh, things kind of went south for him, <laughs> Mr. Gibson. Yes, flew too close to the sun. Uh, although that movie he made, Hacksaw Ridge, is supposed to be really good, and I keep meaning to watch it, and I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, well, you shouldn't, because if you watch it, you're an anti-Semite. <laughs> um, well, I don't like. You know, I was pretty clear at the start of this episode that I was not excited to talk about this episode, and again, not because I hate it, but just because I feel like it's just fine and okay, and we got through it. Um. I guess just really briefly, the, the B, we talked about the B-plot real quick, which is, yeah, Penny buys a copy of Leonard's mom's book. Uh, it has been mentioned in a long time, but yes, of course, his parents are also scientist researchers. His mom is specifically a psychologist or psychiatrist and used uh, Leonard's own childhood as her main course of research and study for which he is immensely resentful. And so Penny thinks that's really funny. <laughs> And then Leonard turns right back around and says, that makes me sad. And Penny says, I know sex will make you feel better. And that is most of their plot up until, uh, I think, yeah, Bernadette through Wallowitz uh, gets wise to what's going on, informs Penny. And then Penny collaborates with Leonard's mom to be like, this, you know, I didn't think much about it at the time because like the plot itself didn't. What didn't have much substance, but the ending of the plot. This should be a a relationship ender. Like, so Leonard comes home, and he doesn't know that Penny knows what's up yet. He thinks the grift is still on. And so as soon as he gets in the door to Penny's apartment, he's like, Oh, I'm still thinking about how I'm embarrassed about my mom and all of her, you know, essentially child abuse. Penny is like, Hey, I'm way ahead of you. Look at me in my, like fun sexy purple nighty whatever the hell it is i am i am ready for sex times i i was ready before you even got here there's just one little thing i need you to watch this on the computer and it's a video chat of his mom and that is that is the end of me being able to have sex with penny <laughs> that is like you know my, my yeah, own life my own mom would be upsetting, he, but leonard specifically yeah he's like halfway to his his pants down. So what we it's no, like Yeah, and not only halfway to his pants down, but he's already like, you know, I'm accepting finally that this show that the show is overall more sexual than I initially assumed it would be. And so I, I think maybe I get confused because it feels so often like a PG show, but then they they do have actual sexual elements in it every now now and then. And in this case, uh yeah, Leonard is like Oh my god, I, you know, in in some jokey, euphemistic ways, basically saying, I can already feel myself getting hard. Um, and yeah, his mom hears that. And then he doesn't know that's happening yet. And he's taking off his clothes. And yeah, you said he's half undressed when she flips the screen around and it's mom there. And I'm like, Penny, no. Penny, you're, you're fun. That would be funny to, to anybody else that looked back on that weird nerd's life you once destroyed. But for the weird nerd that's dating you, it's a bit much. 
it's not nearly the worst thing. I think worst thing still stands out is that time that they all got together and um, let, allowed Wallowitz to be extra delusional about what happened to his father. That's that's the high water mark. But this is a, speaking a very of strange prank. Yeah. Speaking ahead. of Wallowitz, probably the funniest moment in this episode to me, anyway, was uh, when Wallowitz does attempt to fly for sympathy for Bernadette. She just does not like. She comes off stone cold about all of it. He's like, you know what? Finally, just hit me. I had an unhappy childhood, and she's like, yeah, that's tough, buddy. Go wash the dishes. Well, and you know what? I was actually this. This is going to sound like a really silly thing to say, but I was a little anxious during that scene because. Not because I had any sort of sympathy for Wallowitz, because he's obviously, you know, uh, just, just putting on a front. He, he doesn't give a shit. Uh, but when Bernadette pushed back, I was worried it was going to be in a more emotionally abusive manner. I was really worried uh, she was going to tough guy cop him and be like, oh, yeah. You going to cry? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you're having a tough day. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what a tough day is, and then give him a couple smacks or whatever. In that, in that, she instead is just you know calling out his blatant dishonesty. I'm like, well, no, that's the that's the that is the most direct route. And I felt some relief that it did not turn into cop dad abuse against Wallowitz. <laughs> and actually, that's something that um. So, because we do this show, and because I occasionally have to look up things about the show, I get all sorts of Big Bang Theory adjacent algorithm recommendations. And something that comes up in the occasional headline is Bernadette being maybe the least liked character on the show. Yeah, what? Right? And that being because she is such like a... A mean bully sometimes. You know, I almost said shrew... But the thing is, is that that describes his mom. Those traits only come out in Bernadette, Bernadette occasionally and usually when justified. And so I still yeah. like her fine. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I if think anything, it, I feel like the whole joke of Bernadette is she's the most normal and grounded character on the show. So she is just like, uh, I mean, that wasn't not always. I'm sure like every now and then they're like, let's just make her crazy so it can be funny this week. But like nine sure. times out of ten, it's just like. She's like, no, I'm the person who has the reasonable, grounded response to whatever we should do in this situation. Yeah, someone is trying to be manipulative or ridiculous or sneaky, and she's like, hey, mister, I, you know, I guess maybe... maybe also, the as... the top part is the investigative assertions. Yeah, the fucked up part is of the few fights that we've seen her and Wallowitz have, like, they mostly revolved around his refusal to do, like, basic housework. Yeah, because he, he so expects to be taken care of when... Right. Ah, yeah. Which is I a don't... little too real, frankly. Like, it's just, we all I mean, know that dude who just, like, who has the, or who had, hopefully, the the over-supportive girlfriend to the point where he, like, he just felt entitled to, like, have his underwear washed whenever he wanted or whatever. Well, and or he is... just wouldn't do that stuff, like, and so he would just, like, justify being depressed or whatever as an excuse to let trash pile up around their mutual apartment. Well, this is a real stretch, but maybe that's part of the reason that audiences might not like Bernadette as much is that uh, she is the most grounded. And so it is uh, too close to reality when you want to have this break where it's like, oh, look, the the silly, unattractive nerds are having relationships with more attractive, less weird female people. This is the world I want to live in. And then Bernadette's like, hey, sometimes you have to put your toys away and wash the sink. And they're like, no, no, that's not where I want to live. No. But yeah, a stretch. <laughs> Speaking of, did we talk at all about Raj and no, his we, we C haven't. plot? We got, we got C Just, plots in this episode. We I haven't mean, even half got to a C it. plot. Did it even go anywhere? No, no. Well, they, they want to set up dating profiles. They set up dating profiles and then they don't get messaged. And I mean, to the extent that there's any real plot to it at all you know near the end of their little journey they're like man just sitting in our apartment waiting for messages sucks like if this is the alternative to going out to a bar let's just go out to a bar and it ends with them going out to a bar saying hi to a woman who immediately says not interested and they say no this is worse that wraps up their entire plot yep but dun 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 so, right. do we want to talk about 
uh, ethical consumption of media, or do we want to talk about our favorite thing that is incredibly problematic this week just for fun, or do we <laughs> want to talk any more about this episode? Now let's uh, let's move on to. I mean, I'm always happy to talk about uh, uh, ethical consumption of media and what that would even mean. Yeah. Uh, as a, you know, but uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have other chances to go on that particular rant. So. I only watch Roman Polanski movies because I find extradition to be an oppressive process. <laughs> That's my ethical consumption. That's hysterical. I will just say my last thing about Indiana Jones is I think the favorite. I mean, the best movie in the series, just depending on, is either the first one or the second one. Probably sure. the first one, but the second one is really interesting, but also easily the most racist. And then. Uh, but the third one is, I think, I think I've talked about this before, but it's the most fascinating for just being how blatant it is about how, like, no, Indiana Jones has daddy issues. No, he's yeah. very psychologically fucked up because his daddy didn't hug him enough when he was a kid. Oh, you think he's big and masculine and tough? That's, sorry, he's, uh, it's just because he, uh, he's overcompensating for the fact that his father slapped him when he was a kid. Yes, that's right. His father hit him. That's right. His father, Sean Connery, hit young little baby Indiana Jones and everything he's doing now to try to get the Holy Grail and everything else is just to make his dad stop hitting him and to get his father to say that he loves him and is proud of him. And he will shoot and murder and burn and stomp on as many people as he wants. And luckily in this film, they're Nazis. But if they weren't Nazis, do you think that would matter to him in the slightest if they were between him and the ruby eye of Ahmet Ra or whatever? Of course not. If he were a a treasure hunter who, for this particular quest, needed to find the old silver-coated pelts of the Canadian Yukon, yeah, I'm confident we would see Indiana Jones murdering Mounties en masse. (laughs) It'd just be like, oh, I hate maple syrup! Bang! Bang! (laughs) Like... Oh, I kind of want that. Someone needs to make that movie. <laughs> that's that's what this next movie should be, is Indiana Jones, like a lot of old people who grew up in a certain era, starts to lose some of the social niceties where that, that prevented their horrible views from being aired in public. And so the last Indiana Jones should be just like a treasure-hungry, confused, angry old man just spilling old-fashioned racist bile and shooting random people until he can find a golden helmet or some shit. <laughs> Agreed. Perfect. So what's making you happy yeah. this week, Nick? I, don't, I didn't travel to New Jersey if I wanted to be a communist rusky. I'm like, we're just a pierogi store. Bang, bang. Um, <laughs> I know you people hide the gold real well. Oh, God. Uh... I do that. I also demand that in the movie he actually say the words bang, bang every time he shoots somebody. Because <laughs> I'm really enjoying doing that part and I want, I want What's that. What's weird is I can't imagine Harrison Ford playing that role, but I can imagine Clint Eastwood playing that role in a movie so easily. Yeah, yeah, playing that role. <laughs> I can imagine that documentary about Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be 2033's biggest hit. Yeah, all right. Let's move on to the happy things. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, I mean, you asked, you queued it up as if you wanted me to start, but do you have something you want to start with, or am I going? Sure, I'll start uh, with a video game recommendation this week. All right. Uh, so, I, I actually... Fun thing about the Switch, if you order something and it's not... Uh, and it's available, but it's not like the download date yet. You can see it on your like screen. It's like this oh, game yeah. is downloaded and ready to go, but it's not unlocked for you. You mm-hmm. we have to check the the satellite to determine whether or not you have access to this yet. Oh, I hate that so much. But finally, finally was ready today, so I'm already uh, playing my way through the Mega Man Battle Network Collection. Kyle, uh, yes, um, I saw that on there. I absolutely thought of you. And I was about to download it myself, and then I was like, $60? I'll think about this. But uh, I'm glad you're bringing this up, because I remember we've talked about it before, and I saw it, and I was like, I know my man Kyle's going to love that shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I've been waiting for months. Uh, It's been the thing that I've been like, just make it to April 15th, tax season will be over, and then you can sit on your couch and play Mega Man Battle Network while the TV plays in the background. Uh, So, yeah. So, um. If there is one 
video game console that I basically have only nostalgic feelings about. It's the Game Boy Advance. Um, I think that was just my generation's, uh, like, best system, basically. Like, a lot of bangers on the Game Boy Advance. Incredibly popular and successful system. Yes. Uh, And one of the best uh, game... Well, so my favorite game on that system was Mega Man Battle Network, which is a, a... another reboot basically i think by this point they were doing concurrent reboots on mega man because there was mega man legends for the actually that was over by the time mega man battle network came out so man can we just talk for a minute about how weird it is that uh mega man successfully solved the leap from 2d to 3d which killed like 90 percent of like the late 80s early 90s like platformer characters and uh and properties and they solved it and then they still only made two games in that franchise and then we're like yeah we're bored with this now no more mega man ever again but whatever um well no you, i you know I, I made a little crack let's say five or ten minutes ago about how you know if if you watch hacksaw ridge you're you're obviously anti-semitic and i wonder though if mega man somehow didn't commit a fucking hate crime because of the way that he got canceled it's crazy <laughs> it's he's such a popular character and like a, such a successful franchise and you know i think in most franchises he hit a point where it's diminishing returns but like you said like he they just like, kept yeah there are no be- like it's not like there was a game that came out and everyone's like oh this is so terrible they need i mean it some like Mega Man X10 or whatever but it's like no they kept making new and innovative Mega Man games and then they just stopped yeah and like i remember the uh Mega Man Universe i think was supposed to come out and i remember seeing the trailer for that and i was among the majority that looked at it and said this kind of looks like garbage and it was, I think it was supposed to be uh, a game where you could, almost like Mario Maker is what it looked like to me, make your own Mega Man world, share them, etc. Uh, and then they canceled it, and I was like, that's fine, but I didn't want no Mega Man ever again. Like, what happened? But anyway, you were playing Battle Network, a game that is yeah. good and exists. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. So, but yeah, so they wanted to come up with a new. Uh, I mean, I don't. I actually don't know. For as much as I love this game, I know nothing about the history of how it was made. But basically, they decided they. I don't know if they came up with like a new a new game, and then they were like, you know, this would be a lot more interesting uh, if we use the Mega Man IP to sort of craft it around, or if it was sure. the other way around, and they were like, we need to make a new handheld Mega Man game, but we want to do something totally different. But either way, what they came up with was really, uh, I thought, quite good. So it's set in a universe you play as like a as a teenage boy in a universe where, ooh, believe it or not, everything runs on Wi-Fi. Oh, <laughs> and the internet. You can... Ah. You can plug in to the internet basically on any platform, and it's all smart and has its own internal system that is also connected to the Wi-Fi. Can you imagine? Uh, And so to navigate this incredibly confusing uh, world, um, they've invented little uh, basically meta space – I don't want to say avatars because avatars imply that you like pilot them around. It's better to say like little, like basically little friends, AI. Digimon. Yeah, like little, yeah, little like AI. Basically Siri, but smarter. Um, and and with each with their own skin. So everybody has their own like little custom uh, Siri helper that they can send through the internet to run errands for them. And this is the the worldwide network. And your main character, because your dad is a genius scientist, yours is a custom-skinned, super, uh, super navvy called Mega Man. Uh, and so, uh, complete with, like, the classic blue look and the buster, although slightly overhauled. So in the games, they're almost, uh, I mean, they're not that different, I guess, from many, uh, JRPGs of this time period. Uh, I want to say Persona-esque, but that makes it sound much deeper than it is, but it, it does have that kind of split. Like, you run around in the real world and you have conversations with people, and then something is going wrong because someone is hacking into, like, like, the very first mission in the game is, like, your oven is 
overheating and the house is going to burn down because it has a virus. So you have to send Mega Man into the operating system of the oven, find the virus, which is the classic bad guy. Uh, is it Heat Man? Or Heat Man Flame is Man? Uh, from number two, yeah. I think okay. Fire Man is from one and the Heat Man is from two because they were already running on ideas. Oh, yeah. No, it's not Heat Man. It's Fire Man. Yeah, so Fireman EXE, and you have to delete him. So that's that's a kind of basically. So all of the major characters uh, from the original Mega Man game, and I think eventually a lot of the characters from Mega Man X um, are reimagined as like digital avatars in this game. So you fight most of the original Robot Masters um, over the course of these games, and you know you make friends with uh, with. Uh, Various people whose avatars are like, you know, your friends and rivals and your most famous rival. His avatar is Proto Man, although Proto Man taking a heavy dose of Zero's like, you know, sword wielding oh, yeah. skills and makeup. Uh, and so, yeah, they're just great. So I haven't even described the actual gameplay, which uh, was like blew my mind at the time. I'm so used to it now that this is another thing. It's like it's a remarkably like simple but amazing system that uh i guess i understand why they eventually stopped making them because it's hard to iterate on forever but it is it's just like it's so good that you think they would have kept figuring out things to do with it longer than they did so basically you move in you're running around in the world and you have it's basically a jrpg so you have random encounters but instead of just like picking your attack you're moving around on a little hex grid or square grid and you can you know and your opponents are moving around on the same square grid in real time and using their basic attacks on you and you upload you know digital attacks that you can you know consume for points and hit them with so there's an element of it that's uh that's classic like jrpg pick your attack and use it uh but then there's also a real time element where you really are you have to like memorize the patterns of that's like classic mega man you have to figure out like particularly when you're fighting a boss well how many different types of attack patterns does this guy have like what's his movement patterns like like how do i dodge his most devastating attacks and you know how do i find out when he's standing still long enough to hit him and so on and so forth so and you know and if you if you beat them not the first time you beat them but any enemy you beat you will eventually re-encounter optionally for the chance to basically steal their soul and then summon them to do their special attack on your behalf which is awesome so yeah it's a perfect great it's a great little it's mostly a utopian universe which is nice in a game the characters are all well written although i'm an adult now so it does it is very obviously written for like on the level of like 12 and 13 year olds and not 30 year olds but who cares nostalgia and then um yeah and the gameplay is fun and addictive and classic as ever so i would recommend everyone check them out so i have the two-part collection of uh like you can definitely obviously these games what's weird about these games is they were incredibly popular and then they like made way too many of them way too fast i guess chasing that money wagon and very and in a very similar style like pokemon and other games were like they made the first three and they made a bunch of money and they were like how do we make even more money from these i know let's release two different versions of each game going forward that are have like allow you to collect slightly different abilities but will otherwise play exactly the same um and i think that's the point where maybe people started to fall off but uh but it's so weird, yeah, because, I mean, it seems like, it's just like with all the other Mega Man stuff, it seems like this franchise could have basically, if not continued forever, and then they could have at least, you know, after five or six years of not making any, they could have made some for, I don't, some more for, I don't know, like the 3DS, or now that we have a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Uh, and who knows, maybe since they're re-releasing the classic versions, uh, maybe, maybe it's only a matter of time, but we'll see. Hey, was, Nick, you may or may not know this, was... Just I keep I keep thinking about how was uh, Mega Man Zero was that also Game Boy Advance or did that not it come was. out till the DS? No, that so was we had, at least the first had, one or two were on the Advance. So we had two of the greatest Mega well greatest that's a, but we had two incredibly well received popular Mega Man games that came out like entirely separate franchises that came out on the Game Boy Advance. And then Capcom just just dumped him I, I i really do not understand it yeah well i don't know i'm kind of considering picking that up myself because i only played a little bit of those games but 
like this was years and years ago and I was playing it on like an emulator that like it worked well enough but had problems that bothered me and so to play it now like if the you know not necessarily whether it's the official version that matters but a consistent performance wise version would be nice yeah um, and i mean it's like with a lot of these ports you know uh, they give you the choice of what size screen you want, so it was funny because they assumed by default that you don't actually want it on as tiny a screen as like the original version. So it's already blown up like two and a half times. But it is oh, funny sure. that if you want it, you can get it uh, on like the original screen size. And I was looking at it, and I was like, man, I used to stare at something this small for hours at a time. And the answer is yes, yes, I did. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. Um, and how. I don't remember, like, playing on handhelds and being like, oh, no, this is so terrible to look at, and these graphics are so bad, but the entire time being like, this is perfectly acceptable. Like, that can, this, I'm just going to stare at a three-inch by three-inch semi-lit screen, and it's going to kick ass. Um, well, I will move on to my thing, and mine's probably going to be a little bit shorter because I don't have much insight about this and if anything the reason i'm recommending it is because i kind of enjoy its its thoughtlessness which is uh i it's not the first time i saw it but it has been a long time i watched with some friends the other night conan the destroyer which is the second of the old school arnold schwarzenegger uh, conan movies and it's the first one conan the barbarian is fairly serious but it is all nonetheless over-the-top sword and sorcery fantasy trope kind of stuff. You know, big Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Conan the Barbarian, uh, fights for his love and conquers peoples and chops heads off and all that kind of thing. Uh, And the second one is very similar, except I think that the biggest thing I noted is that uh, the, the first one, like I said, is very much like a serious kind of somber uh though still like fantastical movie the second one is more like a wacky dungeons and dragons party where you don't just have conan this time around but you've got a thief you've got someone who i think is an amazon you've got a a magician uh all these things and they're a fun group going on quests and it's probably not as good good as the first movie um, but it uh, is lighthearted in a way that, like, the action and violence... Um, well, I actually read about this the other day. Is apparently a criticism of the first movie that it was too violent. And so the second one, they try to get it all the way down to, like, a PG rating. Well, I guess PG-13 didn't exist. So, you know, whatever degree of PG they needed at the time. Um, but it's not cleaned up in a way that bothers me because it's kind of just more cartoony overall like it doesn't feel like they're cutting out the graphic parts or that they're using cheap effects or anything it just feels like the violence that is there is appropriate for the scenes even if it is just kind of silly um but ultimately the reason i'm recommending this though is that um it is like a, a pretty good not great movie it's like a fun dumb time Um, And I think growing up, um, I was under the misunderstanding that so much stuff in this whole broader genre of like kind of dark fantasy, heavy metal, magic and swords and Frank Frazetta and chain link bikinis and dark wizards and all this other stuff was actually somehow like kind of uh, uh, upsetting or concerning or that like ooh like you know nothing's gonna happen to you if you engage in it at media but like oh those are for like dark unhappy people like and then actually starting to get into it much later than I should have all of these kinds of things and uh, this is the ultimately the reason for the recommendation is like no it's all fun and dumb and people are like because it's fun and dumb like it's you know, Conan's going around chopping heads off and, and raiding villages and being, uh, yes, a barbarian. And it's just a, it's just a good time. It's, it's not grim, dark. Um, it's, it's just like fantastical silliness. And, uh, I wish there were more movies like that now that like, it's not trying to be cool. 
It's not trying to be funny. Uh, it's not trying to be anything other than it is, which is a kind of a dumb movie about a guy and his pals killing some monsters and going on not a gigantic journey to save the world. This is something else that I really think needs to come back to movies is like abandoning these gigantic epic like globe or universe affecting tales. Because like in this one, it's Conan's like hanging out with a pal and someone's like, hey, I have a quest for you to go on. I'm going to promise you a thing in exchange. And he's like, I'm going to go on that quest. And then he goes on the quest and he doesn't have to get caught up in any sort of universal destiny or anything because he's Conan and his motivations are simple, but they're still fun to watch. So that is what I'm recommending. And also, uh, you know, more broadly, just that kind of stuff, just like kind of heavy metal from the 70s, kind of, is it taking itself seriously? I don't know. I guess I better just watch it and find out kind of stuff because it's, I avoided it for too long, and it all kind of... Well, not all of it, but it often kind of rules, so... Yeah. Kyle, you have any Conan thoughts? I mean, no. Now I want to watch Conan. I really like Conan the Barbarian, uh, so I'll have to watch Conan the Destroyer one of these days. I always it, heard it was terrible, so... It's way worse than the first one, that's for sure, but I don't think it's, like, bad, bad. I think it is fun to watch. I enjoy it. It has one of my favorite lines in any movie, which is... Conan is drunk at um at the campfire with his pals, and someone impressed by his physical prowess says, "Wow, Conan, nothing hurts you." And big, dumb, and drunk, he just smiles and says, "Only pain." And ah, yes. uh, uh, best movie and best line in any movie. It is. I do like the idea of like reinvent. Like he's basically uh, the birth of the himbo, Conan, Conan the Destroyer. Yes. Yeah. Just big, dumb, and, you know, it occurs to me that maybe Brendan Fraser in his prime missed out on a chance <laughs> to be at least in one or t- I mean, that basically is the character he plays in, like, George of the Jungle and, uh... I mean, the mummy, and, he's a total himbo, too. You know, he's, a, like, a, just a nice adventurer, hunky dum-dum. But, yes, it's Brendan Fraser, uh... He was cut down in the prime of his himbo days. <laughs> That's okay. He's back now, as a character actor so good for him yes hooray for resurgence and that's what we're really here for today is this is all building up to us just saying good job brendan frazier you did it you did it <laughs>